0: The following audio is from Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let me direct your attention this morning to Philippians chapter 4, and we'll look at verse 6. Be careful or be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brother, finally, sister, things, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, Think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. There's a book in the Old Testament. I'm sure you're familiar with Jeremiah. What you might not know is that Jeremiah was a prophet speaking to God's people, the nation of Judah, who were looking now at their last days. They had continually rebelled against the God of heaven, and now they were about to go into captivity. And there were people saying to them and trying to encourage them, but here's what the Lord said. He said, they have healed also the herd of my daughter, the daughter of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. I've been amazed as we've gone through the book of Philippians, how every week it sort of speaks to the culture in which we find ourselves. We live in a world today where we can say, peace, peace. But the truth is, there is no peace. There is turmoil, there is anger, there is hatred, there is injustice, there is anxiety, there is worry, there is fear, and there is no peace. And and I expect that from the world. But the problem comes when that attitude starts to creep into the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm amazed as we read the letter to the Philippians. Again, a church who is suffering and struggling through being marginalized by their culture, being persecuted, being separated from Paul, who they were in ministry with, who now is in prison. He writes to them, and if you were listening, there were two phrases that ought to just pique our interest this morning in light of the world that we live in. The first is found in verse number 7, where he says that the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard and keep your heart. And then it's fascinating that he ends verse 9 by saying that the God of peace will be with you. And again, Paul is not being flippant here by just saying, oh, just you've got peace. Peace, peace, peace. Don't worry about it. Remember, Paul again is in prison. He's writing to a people who are persecuted. And what he wants them to know is that in the midst of this time, They can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And greater than that, they can have the God of peace in their midst as a church. And so he is speaking to a people who need to rearrange their thoughts and their lives in order to have this peace. And I submit to you this morning that we as God's people must rearrange our thoughts and our lives to interact with this peace. It has been said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, which, by the way, Einstein did not say that. He's quoted as saying that that was not from him. But certainly that statement is true, that God's people continue to do the same thing over and over again and somehow expect a different result. Somehow we expect them to have peace, and this peace that guards our heart, and God, God, the God of peace, being in our midst, while we continue to have the same fleshly responses to life's problems, while we continue scrolling on Facebook for hours, while we have mind-numbing, anxiety-feeding media 24-7. And Paul says to these people, we must rearrange our thoughts in life through discipline, Listen, and, and I know this is going to sound like hyperbole to you, but I mean this. This morning should be very practical for all of us, and I honestly believe that if we'll take what Paul is saying here and apply it to our lives, this can change our lives. And I'm not, I know, oh, pastors say that every week, right? Yeah, oh, it's going to change your life. Well, the Word of God should change our life. But I'm telling you this morning, with what Paul is telling to these people, in the midst of a world that doesn't have peace, it applies to us. And if we will do it, I promise you by the authority of the word of God, you can have the peace that will guard your heart in times of anxiety, and you can have the God of peace dwelling in our midst. So what have we learned so far? Well, we learned a couple of weeks ago that Paul says, when anxiety appears, that the cure is prayer. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known known unto God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so, we are to pray. And I hope that since you heard that message, three weeks removed now, that when anxiety filled your heart and your mind, and cars broke and fridges went, and problems happened and reports came back and test results were being waited for, that you and I took that scripture and took our burdens and cast them before Christ. What good is it to come every week and not do that? Because that's secure. And so we're to pray. And I pray that you have done that. I have to tell you honestly, it has changed my mental makeup thinking about what, what I face every day. Knowing that Christ is in control, He's in charge, He loves me, He is the author of my story. Nothing surprises Him. There is peace that guards our hearts when we do this. So we're to pray, but then we are to ponder. And when life gets disorderly, and life will get disorderly, you should have seen the cast this morning. (laughs) I mean, it's like outside was great, and all of a sudden we're inside, and you think it'd be glorious. It was not glorious. Uh, there was chaos going on this morning, and then we got it together, which was a good thing. But when, when life gets that way, remember we are to ponder, to think. Our spiritual stability is a result of how we think. And in verse number 8, Paul then runs through how our minds are to be occupied to ponder the word. He says, whatsoever things are true. And here's what truth is, that which corresponds with Reality. Truth is not what you think it is. Truth is not how you feel. Truth is not what someone told you. Truth is what God tells us. Just the facts, ma'am. He tells us what corresponds with reality. Whatever things are honest, which means noble, above the dirt and the scandal of this world. Things that are just, which means they're right, especially in community. How to be fair with one another as we talk and work our differences out. How to be pure, to think on this, thoughts and actions that lead us away from sin and shame and towards God and worship. Lovely, which is a rare word, which literally means lovable, to win someone's affection, to live the kind of life that draws people to you, not away from you. Those are the thoughts. And of a good report, to be commendable, ways to protect your moral and spiritual image. And Paul says, these are the things to think about because they are excellent, They're excellent. They're full of virtue. These are the things that we should be striving for as believers and that they are praiseworthy, which means it deals with our reputation. As I control my mind and think of these things, those thoughts will affect what I say, what I do, how I respond to life. Is it any wonder the Word of God says that a good name, your reputation, is rather to be chosen than great riches? Because all you have is your name. And your name as a believer now is associated with Jesus Christ. And so when people call your name, they're associating something with you. And Paul says, these are the things we think about. These are the things that control our mind. It is mental discipline. Now listen to me. The Christian life is not complicated. It's not. a matter of fact, Jesus broke it down to two laws. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It is not complicated, and what Paul is talking about here is not complicated, but it is not easy. It is not easy, and so we said it takes discipline. Last week, we said there must be refusal. If I am going to think the right thoughts so that peace invades my life and changes me, I must negate that which is wrong. And brother and sister, every moment we are inundated with thoughts that are just flat out wrong. They're wrong. And many of us guide our life by the emotions and what we think that are wrong. There must be a refusal, which leads to reading. We said last week we cannot be profoundly influenced by that which we do not know. Listen to me. God is not who you think he is. Some of us have this concept of God that we made it up. Tim Keller says that if the God you worship always agrees with you and everything that you say and do, chances are that God is you. God is not who we think he is. God is who he said he is. And it's through the reading of the word of God that I know him, You and I, as believers, if our minds are going to be right, we must be exposed to the Word of God, which is true and honest and just and pure and lovely and commendable. We've got to be exposed to that, and not just on Sunday morning. When I was a kid, 22 years old, I started full-time service where I got paid for it. And I was in Bridgeport, Michigan. Uh, and at the time, I was the youngest kid on staff. I was a youth pastor in a church of about 1,500 people. And we had a guest speaker come in who, in our movement at the time, was, uh, he was the man. He was very popular. Maybe you'll know the name Curtis Hudson. Maybe you won't. He was a fundamentalist, powerful speaker. And so we had him in for a conference. And so many pastors came that we, we sort of had this back room rented out at a restaurant where we were going to sit with him at the head of the table and we were all going to, all these pastors to come and, and, and talk with him and fellowship with him. So here I am at 22 years old. We go to this restaurant. And you know how it is when, you're, when you go someplace where you don't know where to sit? Like, I don't know, where, where is this order at? So I'm 22 years old, the youngest guy in the room, and so I'm just waiting back to see where everyone shakes out, right? And when it's all said and done, here is the guest speaker at the head of the table and there's an empty seat right next to him. And my pastor said, Brother Dressler, come and sit over here. It's like, I'll oh, stink. Here, and some people love that. I don't love that. I don't. I'd rather be at the end of the table by myself. And I'm sitting next to this man. And so in the course of the conversation, I said to him, hey, what advice would you give a young pastor? And here's what he said. He said, the advice I would give you is this. Read. And then he said, the way your life has changed from year to year are the books you read and the people you meet. Now, he didn't come up with that, That's not, but that's what he lived by, and it's the truth. Believer, if our minds are going to be right, we must be exposed to the Word of God because our lives are changed by the people we meet and the books we read. We must meet Jesus in the Word, the real Jesus, not the Christ who our world is making up and pretending to be the Christ, the Christ of the Bible. We must be exposed to Scripture, but not just exposed to it. This is the next step. We must absorb Scripture. Absorb. And this is the idea of ruminating or meditating. Now, I don't know about you. I often find that I'm the most evil person in our congregation, but this is what happens to me sometimes. I will read a portion of the Bible, and then when I'm done reading and I close it, if someone was to put a gun to my head and say, tell me what you just read or you will die, I would die. Right? Maybe that's never happened to you, but I'm just telling you that's how I am. Sometimes I will read, and when I'm done reading and closing, whether it's the Bible or a book, I have no concept of what I just read. Is that just me? Yes, okay, thank you. Two people, three people, thank you. The rest are pure, not me. All right. Spurgeon says, He is not the best student who reads the most books, but he who meditates on them Many who read very much know very little. They lay so much weight on their brain that it cannot work. And there are people who read to read, which is fine, but there's never any thought about what they read. And they're laying weight on their brain so it does not work. Is it any wonder that Tozer said, we are to think ten times more than we read? For some of you, that's easy. That's 10 seconds. But but for others, it might be a little bit more. Thank you for laughing, Melissa. We have the same type of humor. It's in meditation. It's It's in pondering. Again, here's what Spurgeon says. He says that the reading is like the gathering of grapes, but it's in the meditation that is the squeezing of the grape to produce the juice and the wine that sustains us. And I have to say... My brother and sister in Christ. For many of us, there's no peace in our homes, in our lives, or in our relationships, because we are not growing in the word by meditating on it. Okay, so as a pastor, as an elder, sometimes you look out in your congregation, and and as you look out, there are people that when you talk spiritually, they glaze over. Now, I'm looking right now to see if I can find anyone just to point them out this morning. They just just glaze over. And you have to wonder, and and it's not just one time because they worked hard. I mean, spiritual things, they always glaze over. And I was having a conversation this week with a a pastor friend of mine who reminded me that in the church of Jesus Christ, there will always be wheat and tares. I have to tell you, that's a terrifying thought to me, that there are people in the midst of a congregation, and there will be people in the midst of the congregation until Jesus comes back, who are truly born again and others who are lost without Christ. And you can say you're religious and you do good things and you're a member of a church but can I remind you, Matthew chapter 7 reminds us by Jesus that there are those who in the last days come to him and say, Lord, Lord, have we not done many wonderful works and in your name cast out demons and done miracles and Jesus looks at them, good religious people and says, depart from me. I never knew you. I have to, honestly, that thought as a pastor and as an elder terrifies me. And so, I understand though that that's the way it is. But there are times when Christian people sometimes don't get it. And it's not that they're lost. They are truly saved. But they've been reading or listening and never taking the crushing and the squeezing of what they've heard and applying it to their lives. Believer, there is real fruit in our lives when we meditate on the word of God, not just read it, but meditate and absorb it. That word means to think, to muse, to ruminate, to chew it up, to bring it up, to get everything you can out of it so that you gain the nutrients that you need. So I want to show you the fruit of this this morning and then challenge you with the rest of the text. Okay? So Colossians 3.16. Here's what Paul says. And this is exactly what we're talking about. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I just want to break this down because it's really important. Uh, He says, Let the word of Christ. So he's talking about what we're talking about. The word of God being within you. The word let is a present active imperative, which means it's a command believer this morning, I'm talking to those who are saved. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Paul says, let, he commands, that the word of Christ dwells in you richly. Now, some of you, are no, you know now where we're going with this, because this is not easy. This takes time. This takes effort. And you might say, hey, Pastor Rick, I don't have the time for that. You don't know how busy I am. Right? And listen, we are in a busy world, and the truth is, many of us, if not most, are way too busy. Way too busy. But you say, I, I don't have time. I'm raising kids. I'm working two jobs. I mean, we're swamped. Okay, fair enough. Let me ask you this. Do you have time for a two-hour movie once a week? Is that reasonable? Does anyone says, no, I don't even have time for a two-hour movie? Don't lie this morning, right? Chase, you don't have time for a two-hour movie? Jason just playing with something. He's okay. He understands. We would all say this morning, yeah, I could, I could catch a two-hour movie, right? That's not a big deal. Okay. In the time of a two-hour movie, you, as a slow reader, could read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, James, 1 and 2 Peter, second and 3 John, and Jude. That's 16 books of the Bible. And what I want you to know is, this is not a problem of time. This is a problem of priorities. Period. We make time for what's important to us. We all do it. I do it. You do it. If this, is, if this is on my phone, and it's got a letter A by it, it's getting done today. Even if it's napping, right? It's getting done today. It's on the phone. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. That word dwell means to live, to feel at home. To feel at home. The word of God should just be a place in your heart that it's like home. Dwell in you. Listen, <laughs> This is important. The Word of God has to dwell in you. Do you know there will be a time in your life when you will be isolated by yourself. No one will be around. You can't get a hold of the pastors or the elders or the deacons and you're by yourself. The Word must dwell in you. It is your responsibility to read it, to learn it, and for it to dwell in you. That you have access at any moment. There are some folks who you think that the pastors of the church are your Savior. They're not. There is only one Savior. It's not me, it's not you, it's Christ. And so the word is to dwell in you richly, which means abundantly. Abundantly. Uh, The Puritans often talked about the struggles with the thoughts, and that's what we're talking about this morning. And, And you know as well as I do that we have the craziest thoughts going on in our head. Some of you right now have crazy thoughts going on right now. And they have nothing to do with what we're doing now. They're just crazy thoughts. And, and they're going all over the place. Some of you are worried about your kids. Don't worry about your kids. They're doing great. Some of you are worried about lunch. Don't worry about lunch. It's going to stink anyways. All right? Don't, don't, but, but we have thoughts. And, and the truth is that they're, they're not all bad thoughts, right? I mean, you can think about ice cream sandwiches, whatever. But we can be plagued with evil thoughts. And we can live a life that's out of nowhere, something comes to our head, and then another one, and another one. And the Puritans used to use this illustration, which I thought was really powerful. They would say that those evil thoughts are like bats in a barn. If you have a big barn with a spacious top, bats are flying all over the place. Those are like evil thoughts. And they said the cure for that is to fill the mouth with grain. And as you fill it with grain, there is no more space for flying around. My brother and sister, filling your mind with the word of God is of the most important with fighting temptations, fighting bad thoughts and fighting our anxiety. He goes on, he says, "Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, in all wisdom. So the Word of God is connected with teaching one another. Again, the importance of the church. The church is assembling together. And by God's grace, we can do this in two parts as we're going through this. But listen to me. Church is not sitting in your home for the rest of your life, getting a message on Sunday, and never interacting with one another. That is not church. It's just not. We are called to admonish and teach one another. And we do that by having our hearts full of the Word. Not Oprah. Not Phil. Not not, not Freud, but the Word. And for some of us, we, we interact with believers, and the advice we give them is so hollow and so shallow that it doesn't make a difference. The truth is, it's counterproductive. We must direct people towards Christ. And it, it might not, it's not just, well, I heard this verse. No. What is Christ doing in your heart that you can give to other people? And again, this is for all of us. I don't care where you're at in your faith journey, save for a year or 20. Our hearts must be full with the word. He then goes on to say, singing psalms, of course the Old Testament psalms, hymns written by other believers addressing the Lord, spiritual songs, truths that other believers share addressing to each other, Sing these psalms. And the connection here is this, the relationship between knowing the Bible and our expressions of worship. That as we sing, there should be something in our singing that is filled with the word of God. Do you know how powerful music is? I I mean, it's powerful. I know songs, I know lyrics of songs, like whole songs from 40 years ago. 40 years ago. There, there are artists that I know, if you said that name, Mark, I would know who you're talking about. I would tell you all the words to that song. Why? Because it becomes part of us. Kim and I are now are, are empty nesters. We've been empty nesters for two years. And when it first happens, it's terrible. It's Like, oh, my goodness. I, I love the kids. I miss the kids. I can't believe we're by ourselves. And then after about a week, it's fantastic. It's like, th- this is the best thing ever. It's, it's, we don't worry about what we're eating, what we're doing. It's, it's fantastic. And so now we get pretty bored every now and then. And so we play this game in our house. And we have, you know, Alexa. And we will turn our back and say, Alexa, give us a top 10 songs in any genre from the 70s, 80s, or 90s, or even 60s or 50s. And do you know, I still know almost all those lyrics. And so what the game is the first one up to five wins. But I don't know the titles. And Kim knows the titles, and she's been killing me every week at this. I can't, I can't win in any genre. None. None. Why? why? Not why I can't win because I don't know the titles, but, but why is music so important? It becomes part of our life. Does it not? There are songs in your head. As Christians, the songs we sing should be full of doctrine. They should be full of truth. We fill our hearts. It fills us with joy. And then it says at the end of the verse, with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It has a picture of us being so full of Christ. There's grace. There's peace. There's gratitude. There's thanksgiving. Now, this is important. So, this morning, let me just say this. Um, Let me say this. Uh, So, so I hope you see the fruit of what I'm talking about. We are to refuse, read, and meditate or ruminate. So, how do we do that? If, If this is so important. Okay, that's great. Praise the Lord. You're dismissed. No, no. How do we do this? Do I go home now and sit in a chair and lean back and stare at the ceiling and daydream? That's not what the Bible's talking about here. It's focusing on the Word of God. So let me just give you four quick things that are very practical this morning. Number one, if you want to see the fruit in your life to be changed by the Word of God, so let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Number one, you must, you must memorize Scripture. You must Memorize, you say, I'm 50 years old. I can't remember my phone number, my address. Like, okay, can you write something on a 3x5 card or your phone that you can look at and every day look back at it to say, This is what God says? Be anxious for nothing. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, right? All of these things. We must memorize Scripture. We are at a real disadvantage without the Word. So, number one, find a verse. You don't have to memorize 50. Find a verse, memorize a verse. Number 2, emphasize the words in the text. This will be very helpful to you. So let's just say you take John 3:16. Maybe you've heard that verse. Maybe you know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave. And when you meditate, you stop and you say, "Okay, for God." And we just read that and never think about the God who is the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God who is holy, righteous, just. The God who is a sovereign king, the God who we owe our life and breath to, who we've rebelled against, who we've sinned against, who we are guilty before his throne. He is perfect. We are not for God. You see, it's a little different, isn't it? For God so loved. Think about love and not the mushy nonsense we talk about, but love. Self sacrificing love. Love that thinks about the best interests of the other person. Love that dies to self. The God of heaven so loved when we were yet sinners. He loved us. For God so loved the world. And think about that. The world and the mess we live in. This is the love of God that He gave His Son. And think about Christ, who He is, the second person of the Trinity who became flesh, who walked among us, who was perfect, who suffered and died and bled for you and for me. This changes the way we think of Scripture. I was reading this last week, Sibs again. And he was talking about uh, the description of Christ. And he, he was looking at Isaiah 42.1. It says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect. And so I'm reading, and Sibs took the word, behold and wrote four paragraphs on it. And you think, what, is he making stuff up? No, he's not making anything up. He's thinking deeply about the word behold, which is wondrous, which grabs our attention, which draws us from misery in life, which shows Christ presently before his people. So we must memorize, we must emphasize, we must rephrase in our own words. Find a text, apply the text, change it to your own words, right? Right? If you can't take a verse and put it in your own words, you don't understand that verse. One of the hardest things I do every year, except this year, because of COVID, is I'm responsible for sharing the gospel with the youngest group. Usually, I have to do that. It's the hardest thing I do to try to take the gospel and give it to, what what grade is that? Fourth, fifth grade, right? Two, four. Phrase it in your own words. And then ask the Philippians four questions. Is this true? Is this honest? Is this just? When we ponder such things, these characteristics unite the church in peace, collectively, but it's individually as well. Believer, you have a responsibility as part of this body to think on things that are true and just and lovely and pure and to think on these things so it changes us. So we pray, we ponder, and finally we practice. Verse number nine as we close this morning. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. Right thinking is a first step towards right living. The Bible has been given not to fill your head with facts, but to change our lives. And after this standard of thought, of the thought life that Paul gives, the church was then called to cultivate the things they saw in Paul. They learned, they received, they heard, they saw, they were to do. Do. Obviously, Paul... Timothy, Epaphroditus, and members of the church were doing what Paul said in their prayer, in their pondering, in their practice. And Paul says then, follow those people as they follow Christ. And believer, I want to tell you something. There is something um, magnetic about people who have the peace of God that guards their hearts. And where they go, God is in the midst with peace. And so it is our duty not just to read or to listen, but to do and to practice. This kind of life results in peace of God guarding our hearts and the God of peace within our midst. God's peace especially resides in those who have ordered their lives in accordance with God's will, the right thoughts, and right living. Church of Jesus Christ, in a world that has no peace, we should be the people who the peace of God guards our hearts, and as we come together in that peace, The God of peace is in our midst. But that doesn't just happen. We must pray. You you must pray when that anxiety comes. You must ponder deeply and reflect God's word. I'm telling you, if you will squeeze that out, it will change your life. And then we must practice what you hear, what you see, we must do. And when we do, the world that has no peace will look within the church that has, and be attracted to what we have. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your people. We thank you uh, for the opportunity to proclaim your word today. Lord, I pray that we understand and see the power of what Paul is instructing us with here. The power of your word when it actually dwells in our hearts and our minds, where it lives there, it's at home there and we, we meditate and ruminate and chew the cut, and it goes over and over to where finally it changes us. Oh God, we need that peace. We need that peace to guard our hearts, and we need you, the God of peace, in our midst. So help us to think right. Help us to live right. And help this be a place that in our midst, the God of peace freely moves and works. We thank you, and we ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.